time to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Gainey. This is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round, and when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, I always look for crunch time plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to Crunch Time Plays today, where they're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks so much. Today, we are recapping everything that happened in week seven of college football. This is our crunch time recap. First, again, the first one we've done, just like last week, we did the crunch time preview for the first time, Ole Miss against Tennessee. So this is really what we want to do every week, mixing in these solo shows along with our guest shows. So just creating a great experience right here on Crunch Time Plays. And so thankful that you're uh, joining me for this episode. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Plays Crunch. That's where you get find all the content. Make sure you're following us on the podcast feed as well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and leave a five-star review. Certainly appreciate that. And, and make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's absolutely free to do that. If you're watching on YouTube right now, Just hit that little subscribe button down below. Absolutely free to do that. Certainly appreciate it. And it it helps with everything that we're trying to do right here on Crunch Time Play. So certainly appreciate it. So first time time we're doing this Crunch Time recap, so kind of giving the lay of the lamb. We got Ole Miss and Tennessee to react to. We did the Crunch Time preview for that. Did you know that Iowa, number two Iowa, lost to Purdue on Saturday? I feel like not many people, especially in the southeast, are talking about that. We're going to dive into that when we're going to take a drive around the SEC, SEC Week 7 recap. Ed Orgeron will be out at LSU at the end of 2021. He will not coach for the Tigers in 2022. We'll talk about that, what that means for the LSU program. Then we're going to give our crunch time players for Week 7. If you're following on social media, you've already seen these at Plays Crunch. Make sure you're following there. But if you haven't, if you're watching on YouTube, it's going to be up. And then if you're not watching on YouTube, we're just listening on the podcast feed. Check us out at Plays Crunch on social media, and you'll be able to see those graphics. But starting off, crunch time recap of Ole Miss and Tennessee. Ole Miss knocks off Tennessee 31-26 to on Rocky Top on Saturday night. What an awesome college football atmosphere in Neyland Stadium on Saturday night for the first 50, for the first 59 minutes of the game. And, and as, as we, we all know what has transpired by now at the, in the last minute of the game, and Absolutely hate the way that that ended uh, with some of the crowd uh, throwing objects on the field. Certainly a, a safety thing. Certainly there's no excuse for that. And it's you know it's just a just a terrible look, especially with the the atmosphere of the game being so great for the first 59 minutes of the game. And you know as much as I love golf, I'm definitely not bringing a golf ball into a college football game. <laughs> If I if I can help it, but I hate everybody that's talking about hate everybody this this I hate that's the focus of this game is the final minute because there's so much uh, that was overlooked that was on the field on Saturday night that, that we're certainly going to get into. So hate hate all that kind of got overlooked by the last minute with the crowd. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the other hundred thousand fans that were in attendance and. It was just the actions by some and that are going to get the headlines. I certainly hate that because it was truly an electric 
atmosphere in Neyland Stadium on Saturday night. And, and it was everything that's great about college football, uh, the way that we're used to. College football is back. It is back this year with full crowds. And so, so thankful for that. But, and it's everything that's great about the game. So, certainly hate uh, that the game ended the way it did, especially uh, with some of the crowd. And, but very excited about the first uh, 59 minutes where it was so, so raucous and, and such an awesome environment in Neyland Stadium on Saturday night. And, and I will say, though, if you're an Ole Miss fan watching this, you know, if you're looking for suspects and who was trying to hit Lane Kiffin with the golf ball, I'd probably start with the guy that they showed in the stands uh, that was wearing the Titleist hat. So, you know, I feel like, they, feel like the camera crew definitely pointed him out for a reason. He definitely could have been the guy that was – that was throwing the golf ball. Not me, though. I would definitely, number one, because I wasn't at the game Saturday night, but number two, as much as I love golf, I would never bring a uh, never bring a golf ball into the into a college football game. But, you know, I feel like so much attention has been focused on the final minute, and certainly uh, that's the case. But there's a few things that, that need to be addressed uh, as far as what happened on the field that led to that point because it wasn't just a knee-jerk react. That fourth and 24 play, that Tennessee came up a half yard short. That wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to throwing the objects on the field. It had been going on the entire game. The officiating was not good uh, in that game on Saturday night. And, and, you know, everybody, whenever, you know, whenever I saw uh, the first, watching it on TV the first time, uh, I saw Mark Curls get out there, the the head referee. And, and, and you know, it's the same crew that, that botched the the Memphis Mississippi State uh, debacle earlier in the season, so definitely don't understand why the SEC felt the need to, in Lane Kiffin's return to Rocky Top, have that officiating crew on the field. Definitely nothing nothing I'm about to say excuses the actions of the of the end of the some of the crowd at the end, but it had been brewing the whole game. I feel like a lot of people think it was just a knee jerk reaction, but. For the people that watched the game, you know that it was been going on the whole game. It had been stewing and, and brewing the, the entire game. But because, you know, it's kind of started out with, with Matt Corral, you know, the, the fumble when they sat in the scoop and score that they called him for progress on. To, and I've watched that play several times. I don't necessarily agree with the call. I felt like it should have been the scoop and score for Tennessee, but because they could, but because they rule forward progress was on that, that's not a reviewable play. So you know, that was just the tip of the iceberg at, at the first part of the game. We could have made it a tie game at seven, seven. And, you know, that's really what kind of started it all. And it just kind of went downhill from there. Several more bad spots and several more missed calls on both sides, not just the Tennessee side, but on both sides in the game that ultimately, uh, it didn't determine the outcome because Tennessee actually had a chance to win at the end. The ball went through Cedric Tillman's hands uh, in the end zone. Definitely could have, definitely still could have won that game. I know it felt like the entire, you know, the entire fourth quarter lasted about a lasted about two hours. But at the end, Tennessee actually did have a chance to to win that game. But this isn't just this game problem. This is an an SEC officiating problem and. And, you know, it, it, it kills me that, that we don't have full-time officials in college football. The SEC could certainly afford it uh, with the, you know, the billion-dollar industry that they've got uh, booming, especially, you know, the Power, the power Five <clears throat> conferences in general, they could afford to have 
full-time officials. So definitely don't really understand why we don't have full-time officials in college football. Definitely don't understand why we're not holding these officials accountable because as we've seen week after week, it seems like now there are calls in these games that you hate determine the outcome, but they do. And that's just really unfortunate. So the crunch time question that I have for the SEC is when are you going to start holding these officials accountable? Because they really need to be held accountable. They can't, they need to be, if they miss a call that, if they miss calls that egregious, if especially that Memphis Mississippi state game, they need to be suspended for you know a few games. They need to, to have penalties uh, be enforced <clears throat> on them. They can't just, just get a, tongue lashing privately there's there has to be something publicly that the fans can see and generalize to hold these officials accountable but enough on that want to get to the actual game now because there's something that not many people are talking about today but something that i feel like is very important to happen on the field on saturday night so let's dive into the actual game do you remember the Friday show, the Crunch Time preview show, when I said I thought the Heisman had gotten to be more of a popularity contest and it absolutely needs to be the player that means the most to his team? And then I went on to say that, that Matt Corral should win the Heisman because of that reason. Yeah, I still feel that way. And Saturday night only, in, only greatly enhanced my feeling on that because we always look for that Heisman moment for these guys during the season. And last night, Saturday night was absolutely Matt Corral's Heisman moment. And it's being overlooked because of what happened at the end. But if you're looking for that Heisman moment from a guy, look no further than Matt Corral on Saturday night in Neyland Stadium. That was his Heisman moment. Bailed him out of several third downs with his legs. Rushed for 185 yards. Threw for 231. So much there's no telling you know there's he picked up 10 or 12 first downs with his legs just going back and, and watching the tape on that he you know without Braylon Sanders without Jonathan Mingo without the left guard on the offensive line without several key pieces in the offense Matt Corral led the charge for Lane Kiffin and the squad on Saturday night so that was his Heisman moment I feel like not many people are talking about that but the first Heisman moment of the season by a legitimate candidate was Matt Corral on Saturday night at Neyland Stadium. I certainly applaud him for that. And certainly, he's if I was a Heisman voter, he'd be number one on my ballot right now and the rest of the way. He, he'd be my Heisman winner, no doubt. No doubt about it. Jordan Davis also at Georgia. I know defensive players, you know, it's going to be hard for, for him to win the Heisman, but he, he would be number two on my Heisman ballot from Georgia, the defensive tackle. So he affects the game in ways that you just can't affect the game. He means the most to Georgia, just like Matt Corral means the most to Ole Miss because if they didn't have Matt Corral, not sure if they would have beat Arkansas, not sure if they definitely wouldn't have beaten Tennessee on Saturday night. So, you know, Matt Corral got a crunch time player from me this week, and he is number one, should be number one in the Heisman conversation going forward. And the last thing that I want to talk about on the field that happened, some, some been some somewhat of a problem whenever we start talking about these fast-paced, up-tempo offenses, is faking injuries. And, you know, you hate to see anybody get injured in the game. But there has to be 
there has to be something when it's when it's blatantly obvious when players are looking over to the sideline and in the game on Saturday night and the coaches are telling them to fall down on the ground and and they're they're cramping up and they're they're just trying they're just doing it to slow down the other offense and and both sides are doing it not blaming either side because and you can't blame them you can't blame either one of these two coaching staffs for that on Saturday night because they're just exploiting the deficiencies in the rules of the game. Now, one of the things we always talk about in sports is growing the game. And one of the great things about sports is growth. Now, if I, if I just landed from Neptune and watched that game on Saturday night that lasted over four and a half hours because of everything that happened and then fake injuries and all, I probably never become a college football fan. Because if, if that was my only taste of college football, I would probably say no thanks. And I'd go find somewhere, find somewhere else to, to spend my time if I, had, if I had just landed here from Mars. That's not growing the game. And if, you, if we can eliminate these fake injuries by you know, increasing the penalty – they have to be at least sit out for a quarter, at least give these coaches the opportunity to weigh the risk-reward factor of, well, hey, if we tell this guy to go down, he's going to be out for a quarter. Are, are, we, are we really sure we want to do that? And that speed ever you – know, when, when you talk to somebody that's not a fan of sports or not a fan of college football, and I know because I've had people tell me this, is one of the things they don't like about it is the speed of the game takes too long all the commercials especially you know and those are certainly warranted now nothing we can do about that but we can do something about fake injuries we can do something about trying to slow down these high octane up tempo offenses definitely understood tennessee doing it old miss ran 101 plays on saturday night definitely understand old miss doing it because tennessee at points was really moving the football really sustaining the momentum down the field and you can't blame either one of these coaching staffs because they're just exploiting the deficiencies in the rules. There has to be accountability. There has to be some sort of increased penalty for faking injuries. Never want to see anybody get hurt in a game. So definitely not saying that. But when it's blatantly obvious that players are looking over to the sideline and the coaches are telling them to fall down on the ground, there has to be accountability for that. Now, one of the things that one of the great movements that I've seen in recent memory is what happened in college baseball this past year when Barstool Sports did that big kick led by Ben Mintz. Barstool Mintz, he had him on the show back in the spring whenever we were kind of first starting it up during the college baseball season. And he was talking about Barstool's efforts to, to grow the game. He really, they really did a great job of doing that college football as many fans as we have in the college football world there's still plenty of people that aren't college football fans we need to bring them in need to bring them in and so eliminating that increasing the speed of the game there's a lot of ways to speed up the game but that's one of the blatantly obvious things that kind of kind of brought it back to memory whenever i was watching it on saturday night but it's one of the certainly one of the things that needs to be corrected in the game. But congrats to Ole Miss. Congrats to Matt Corral. Heisman moment for him. Truly the first Heisman moment of the season. So certainly, certainly huge congrats to, to Lane Kiffin and the squad and, and Matt Corral for having his Heisman moment. 
because he's a crunch time player this week and he's been a crunch time player before. And he had his Heisman moment on Saturday night. So definitely wanted to bring that to light because I feel like a lot of that was being overshadowed. But anyway, did you know that Iowa, number two Iowa, lost on Saturday 24 to 7 to Purdue? I feel like a lot, not many people, if you're out if you're outside of the Southeast, you definitely know about this. You probably watched the game. But if you're in the if you're in the SEC footprint, you may not have been paying attention to this game. You may not have been watching it. David Bell for Purdue, crunch time player this week also. We'll get to him later. Had 11 catches for 240 yards in this game for Purdue. What a performance by him. We all, and we all, you know, Iowa losing certainly didn't surprise because you know, they've been relying on turnovers a lot. Their offense has really been sputtering throughout the season. They've never been able to, to get anything going. So I feel like that's another reason why people aren't really talking about this game. I feel like not many people were surprised that Iowa lost because there was people out there, myself included, that that said they were going to lose because of their lack of offense. And and they would have lost to Penn State if Sean Clifford didn't get hurt in the game. And so and you, you can't depend on forcing – four turnovers every game with the offense being how it is. You have to play complimentary football. And defensively, special teams, Iowa is holding up their end of the bargain. But offensively, there definitely needs to be some sort of improvement as we come down to crunch time of the season. One thing one thing to note, though, Iowa is in the Big Ten West. They have a little bit easier road than – than what is happening over there in the East, because I want to get to that in a second. Games that are coming up on October 30th that we absolutely need to be paying attention to. Now, Iowa, they're going to be favored in a lot of their games going forward, maybe a slight underdogs in one or two of them. But if they can find offense, if they can find momentum, the defense can keep keep forcing those turnovers. You can't rely on it. So the offense has to get better. But if the defense can force those turnovers, the offense gets better. Playing complimentary football, I was certainly going to be a force down through crunch time of the season and, and going towards that Big Ten championship game. But the Big Ten East, October 30th is the date. Next Saturday, October the 30th, Michigan at Michigan State. Undefeated matchup, Penn State at Ohio State. That those are the two matchups that we're going to be watching on October the 30th. Going to play a big role in deciding the Big Ten East, in deciding the college football playoff potential picture for the Big Ten. So a huge week in the Big Ten coming up on October 30th. Definitely going to be having crunch time previews of both of those games, uh, Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and Ohio State coming up next week. But kind of switching back, taking a drive around the SEC now, some results and takeaways from the SEC. How about Auburn handing Arkansas their third straight loss? And and you can say that, and, I, and I've said it, that Arkansas ha- has gone, been running the gauntlet, playing with house money. They've been been tired, but Auburn has as well. And this is a huge win for, for Brian Harson and Auburn because Bo Nix, that was probably one of his – most complete performances of his career, if not the most complete. We always see these highlights like we saw in the LSU game, but that was definitely Bo Nix's most complete 
performance of the year in a receiver room, by the way, it's been struggling a lot. Cornelius Williams, the wide receivers coach, was fired a few weeks ago. Those receivers made plays yesterday. You know, one of the things that you're looking for in year one of the coaching staff is incremental improvement every week. And Auburn is showing that. And Brian Harson's five and two. That's the best record of any first-year head coach right now. And you know, this is this is exactly what you want if you're an Auburn fan because leading into the season, talked about it with several guests on the show, Pat Smith, Brian Stoltz, Nathan King that we've all had that cover Auburn regularly. And I'm leaving a couple guys out that we that cover Auburn regularly that we've had on here. You know, we were talking about how we love the Brian Harson hire, but it would take a little bit of time in recruiting, especially since half the staff are, are SEC people. Half of them are coming over from Boise. It's going to take a little bit of time to, to get, the, get the recruiting going. And it, that was certainly the case the first few weeks of the year. It was definitely the case in the summer. was the case the first few weeks of the year. But now Auburn really starting to round into form in year one, five and two, creating that momentum for recruits to see. They added Drew Bobo. They added E.J. Harris from Auburn High School just in the past week. Two critical offensive linemen that they need because offensive line is definitely a need for Auburn. You can start to feel the momentum kind of circulating around that Auburn program right now. Certainly hats off to Brian Harson and his staff for that, but credit Bo Nix as well, because we're so, so hard on him all the time. And, and that was definitely his most complete game in an Auburn uniform yesterday. So credit to him. And they, they go in, uh, to a to a great bye week at five and two and certainly where you want to be if you're Brian Harson at this point. This is a different team. The team that we saw Saturday against Arkansas is not the same team we saw go up to Happy Valley in week three. And that's a testament to the job that Brian Harson and his staff are doing at Auburn. Moving on, South Carolina with a miraculous win over Vanderbilt on Saturday 21 to 20. You can still write the Disney script about Colonel Zebuliah Nolan. He entered the game in the final minute on Saturday for South Carolina, marched the ball all the way down the field, found Xavier get in the back of the end zone, and Parker White made the game-winning extra point to give South Carolina the 21-20 to win on Saturday. With that being said, there's, there's, that's the good. Certainly a lot of bad in the game, the four turnovers, the the holding penalties that South Carolina continues to accrue on offense. The offense is certainly the Achilles heel of the team right now, which is, you know, we we thought that the strength of the team was going to be the offensive line in the running game to start the season. And and they did improve a little bit of that on Saturday, but the now the offense clearly needs to be simplified because you know, it's pretty much an NFL offense. You know, I'm watching the Panthers on Sunday and South Carolina on Saturday is pretty much the same exact offensive plays. It seems like Marcus Satterfield just brought the the Panthers playbook over and and maybe put his own maybe put maybe put his own little spin on it, but certainly doesn't seem that way, especially with how complex the offense is. Seems like a lot of the members of the offensive staff are still having trouble, especially Greg Atkins, the offensive line coach, definitely having trouble still still learning it because you only get these guys 20 hours a week. They're sitting in the NFL. And so 
if you're if you're trying to run this, if you're trying to run an NFL offense, you gotta you gotta be able to to simplify it. And and the play calling uh, duties for Marcus Satterfield is certainly going to need to be addressed at the end of the season because at the end of the day, South Carolina is who they are at this point. The defense is overachieved. A plus on the defensive staff: Clayton White, Mike Peterson, Jimmy Lindsey, Torian Gray. A plus for them. A plus for Pete Limbo. Special teams coordinator. Special teams has been awesome for Carolina so far. And, you know, last year, the defense was the complex. Coach Muschamp and, and Travars Robinson, defensive coordinator, that was the complex side of the football. But this year, the defense is living up to their end of the deal, exceeding expectations with the talent, especially in the back end that's on that roster. Jalen Foster's having an all-SEC type season. Never thought we would say that about him. And so two-thirds of the team are living up to the bargain. And the offense is the only thing that needs to get going. One thing that I have noticed about Marcus Satterfield, and we've seen it throughout every game that Carolina's played, especially on Saturday, they came out firing. The script was really great and we always talk about the script those first 10 15 sometimes even 20 plays uh, that an offensive coordinator calls we're starting to really talk about the script a lot more now thought the script was was really great uh for marcus satterfield on saturday and it's been and it's been well executed script the first 10 15 plays of the game it's the after the script when the feel of the game comes in Marcus Satterfield has shown through the first seven games that he doesn't have a feel for the game. He doesn't doesn't have a feel for the game. And you know, Shane Beamer's going to have to address the offense at the end of the season, I believe. So we'll see uh, if he does that. And But the thing that you love about Shane Beamer is the reason you hired him. The culture fit is there. You know, I saw something on Saturday that I – Definitely didn't see under Coach Muschamp in the final minute when the offense was about to take the field. The entire defense came over to the huddle, really encouraging the offense. You can tell the love, the brotherhood that Shane Beamer is building in Columbia. He will build something special in Columbia. But to do that, he's going to have to address the offense at the end of the season if it continues to go on this stretch because the next five games are going to be incredibly difficult for South Carolina. If you can't score points, probably might lose all five if you can't score points. So if you if the offense continues to sputter, then Shane Beamer's certainly going to have to make some decisions on the offensive staff going forward. Because if he doesn't, it could, you know, we always talk about culture, but if you're if one if if you always have that one part that's that's always struggling, then then never going to get the and in South Carolina def, definitely doesn't have they don't have the wide receivers they need right now the wide receivers have stepped up coach steps done an incredible job but there's really the scheme as far as the running game I mean, we've seen it we saw it from LSU the first six weeks you know Jake Peets the offensive coordinator from LSU he was with the he was with Joe Brady and the Panthers with Marcus Satterfield uh, as well last year. So LSU really struggled with scheme-wise running the football the way South Carolina was, but LSU really kind of went back to 
who they are. They they changed the scheme up uh, in the run game. That's what led to to Ty Davis Price's huge game on Saturday. Crunch time player uh, Ty Davis Price on Saturday. So South Carolina's going to have to find a way to simplify the scheme. Marcus Satterfield, if he if he wants to survive as the play caller in Columbia, things are going to have to be simplified. Texas A and M. We were looking to see. We were looking for a letdown, honestly, coming off that huge win against Alabama. We were looking for a letdown in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday, and they dominated the game. Really, really mature performance by Jimbo Fisher and the gang on Saturday. And they look like they're turning the corner. Calzada is really starting to look good now. Took him a few weeks to develop because, you know, he he wasn't the starter going into the season. Haynes King was. It, it took. Calzada a few games to to get going, but he's really getting going now. And and South Carolina going to Texas A&M this week uh, on Saturday certainly going to be a huge test for South Carolina, especially as well as the defense has played. Got to think that Texas A&M is certainly going to get theirs. And and if the offense continues to sputter the way it has, they definitely feel like that you know South Carolina is going to have a really hard time winning that game on Saturday night in College Station. LSU, best rushing performance of the season. They beat Florida 49-42. I think they were 127th in the FBS in, in rushing offense uh, leading into the game. Certainly went back to who they were. They changed the scheme up. Max Johnson's playing really well still. So LSU, and the you know, we're going we're gonna to get to Coach O being out here in a minute. But the final – the final – Five games are critical for LSU and in terms of, of the future of the program and the new coach coming in. Definitely want to be able to maintain that momentum. Going to get into it more in a minute, but that roster is ready to win. If Scott Woodward can find the right guy, that roster is ready to win. You now, Florida, you know, the questions about, about Dan Mullins, they really focus. I know he wanted to go to the NFL last year. Not sure if the NFL wanted him, but it seems like that those – those questions, especially in Florida fans, you know this well. It seems like the questions are still there for Dan Mullen, and, and they're they're gonna have they're gonna have to work harder at at recruiting. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to make a change at defensive coordinator as well if Dan Mullen wants to survive. It seems like Ty Grantham's gonna have to gonna have to be on his way out at the end of the year if if Dan Mullen's gonna survive down in Gainesville. So certainly looking out for that. Georgia and Alabama, the final two teams as we that won. We take the drive, finish out the drive around the SEC. Georgia's defense continues to be elite over Kentucky. The offense is getting better and better every week. Really, they're the complete team that everybody thought they were. Still haven't played a team that can stretch the field vertically on them. Kentucky was probably the best that they faced. Uh, at that point, didn't have Josh Ali though, so they've kind of they were kind of able to focus their attention on Wandell Robinson a lot more. Kentucky's number one target, so we'll certainly see coming down the road how Georgia fares if they do get up against a team that they can really stretch the field vertically, stretch that secondary out, because that's really the only thing that we hadn't seen tested. And South Carolina had a little bit of success against Georgia doing that running those – running ver really the vertical passing game down the field. South Carolina actually had some success 
uh, in that with, with Josh Van and Jalen Brooks. So definitely want to watch out for, for a team that can stretch the field vertically. That's really the only question that Georgia has on the defense at this point. And, and the offense continues to round into form. So Georgia and Alabama are both a lead. And, and Alabama, what a huge bounce-back statement over Mississippi State. 49-9, they scored in every way, scored on offense, scored on defense. Now those, those two teams continue to be the class of the league in college football right now. I know everybody wanted to – a lot of people wanted to ride off Alabama after they got beat by Texas A&M. But one thing about that game, Texas A&M had been preparing for that. Jimbo had been preparing for that for a long time, and it reminded me of the South Carolina game in 2010 when they beat Alabama – Calzada, Steven Garcia, everything, Calzada, everything kind of went his way. Everything went AM's way. And Calzada played an unbelievable game, crunch time player, superhero performance against Alabama. But everything kind of went their way. They got up early, forced a couple turnovers on Bryce Young because he's he's young. It was only a second true road game in a hostile environment. Florida was the first, AM was the second. He's certainly going to see that going forward. So you know, everything just kind of lined up for Texas A&M in that game. They had been preparing for it for a long time. You know, Jimbo was was prepared because he called a great game. And you have to think that Alabama is just going to continue to bounce back, continue to roll as they possibly head into that SEC championship game with Georgia, which is going to be a, a heck of a battle, heck of a battle in the SEC championship game. Certainly, certainly don't want to diminish – Certainly don't want to look too far ahead and diminish the regular season because the regular season has been just awesome in college football this year. So we'll worry about that uh, the first weekend in December, Georgia and Alabama. But, again, they continued to be of the class of the SEC and the class of the country. They are the two, they are the two best teams uh, in the country right now. And so the final thing that I want to talk about in this episode is Coach O being out. At LSU, definitely not a surprise. I've been hearing about it for a few weeks now. It's just a matter of when and not if. It's, and it's magical. In, in 20, 2019 was a magical season for LSU. And Coach O deserves all the credit in the world for that. He went out and got Joe Burrow from the transfer portal. Got Joe Brady to come in, be the offensive coordinator, along with Steve Ensminger. You know, Coach O was the architect of that and there were so many great players on that team chase jefferson marshall that we see in the nfl those receivers the defense was really good truly a magical year in 2019 and coach o deserves all the credit in the world for that but you know the combination of the own field from last year and so far this year plus all the off the field uh, situations that that we won't get into. Ross Dellinger did a great job of, and I know the Athletic has some articles as well on that. So go check those out. Ross Dellinger, the first to report that that Coach O will be out at the end of the year. You no, know, all all of those. It, it wasn't only the on field. It was what we it was what we saw publicly that was going on off the field, and what we didn't see privately that was going on off the field. So if you if you want to know more, definitely, definitely, I uh, encourage everybody to go check out the Athletic and, and check out the S, check out SI. Ross Dellinger had some great reports on that as well. 
it's something that that we've been watching out for for a while coach o being out so you know what kind of job is it well it's the, one of the best football jobs in the country and it's one of the best college and in nfl jobs in the country and we're going to hear so many names to, that we can count for this job every top head coach in the country not named nick saban or dabo swinney will be candidates and would love to be the next head coach at LSU and embrace the challenges that goes along with that. And I'll say this, whoever does get that job is inheriting a program that's ready to win right away because there is great talent still on LSU. And if you can bring a new coach in, can salvage this recruiting class, not have anybody transfer, if you can, if you can hire them early enough to where that doesn't happen, LSU, if they hire the right guy, if Scott Woodward, makes the crunch time play with the right hire this red this program is ready to boom again and if the, and if and if he if he hires the right guy they're they're going to be booming again because there's so much talent on that roster and if you need any proof of that go back and watch what LSU did to Florida on Saturday with all the noise swirling around that program they played loose we kind of know why now because they I feel like they kind of already knew uh, that coach O was Going back to that interim role for the final six games of the season, they definitely felt like they played more loose. Now, I'm, I'm can, definitely curious to see how they finish out the season. Now they play they play Alabama to finish out. Got A and M still. Got Ole Miss this week. So definitely curious to see how they finish out the regular season to <clears throat> send Coach O off uh, the right way and and whoever takes that job they're inheriting a program that's ready to win and and scott woodward if he can make the crunch time play with the right hire that program's ready to boom and be successful again still plenty of talent go back and watch the game on saturday still plenty of talent on that roster even without they were without Butte and stingley and ricks on defense so if you need like i said if you need any proof of how talented LSU is. They just need the right guy at the wheel. They just, they're ready to boom. And if if you don't believe me, go back and watch the game from Saturday against Florida. But crunch time players, we kind of hit on a few of them already. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're going to go ahead and post up these crunch time players for this week. Ty Davis-Price, crunch time player for LSU. Matt Corral, Heisman moment again. Heisman moment for Matt Corral on Saturday. David Bell, we mentioned him in the Purdue upset of Iowa. 11 catches, 240 yards receiving. Zeb Nolan for South Carolina comes in on the final drive, leads the Gamecocks to the win. Doesn't get any more crunch time than that. Crunch time player, Colonel Zebuliah Nolan of South Carolina for this week. And Bryce Young. The reason I put Bryce Young on here this week, crunch time player, is because he really bounced back this week. Threw for a ton of yards, four touchdown passes, and everybody wanted to talk about Alabama. So much noise surrounding Alabama this past week. How have they, have they fallen off the mountaintop? No, they hadn't. Alabama hadn't fallen off the mountaintop at all. And Bryce Young... He led that team uh, on Saturday. The defense played well. Complimentary football 
Bryce Young, there was a lot of criticism from him about the turnovers in Texas A&M game. Very, very mature workman-like performance for Bryce Young. So he is the final crunch time player for this week. And with that, it's time to get out of here. Thank you so much for checking out the Crunch Time Recap. Week 7 edition. Again, it's our first one. I know we were a little little bit late in the season starting both the Crunch Time Preview and the Crunch Time Recap. But we're going to be doing these uh, throughout the rest of the season. So certainly hope that you enjoyed it and hope you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Completely free to do that. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Got some exciting things coming. Can't wait to tell you about them. So Definitely looking forward, to, looking forward to the future here on Crunch Time Plays. So delighted to have you with us and just so, so thankful for all the support and looking forward to, to seeing uh, where this goes. Again, we, you know, we kind of just started it, you know, six months ago, just out of the blue and really growing, really powerful stuff. The, uh, the podcast numbers are, are great. They're up over 200% in the past months. So the numbers are really starting to look good. So really, really appreciate everybody make sure you spread the word word of mouth is the fastest way for crunch time plays to grow and and keep making the crunch time plays with us and got to give a shout out to prize picks as well at the end i'm going to be having our our crunch time plays our our prize picks fantasy props this week coming up later in the week for college football but if you're an nfl person if you're an nba person major league baseball the nlcs alcs going on right now make sure you get those fantasy props uh, in and if you use the code crunch time plays on prizepicks.com when you sign up, you'll automatically get a hundred percent match up to a hundred dollars. It's prizepicks.com and let's make the crunch time plays together. So, for thank you so much again for checking out the crunch time recap week seven edition. I'm Bennett Ganey. Thanks so much for checking out crunch time plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and have a great start to the week. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Crunch Time Plays with your host, Bennett Ganey. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow at Plays Crunch on Twitter and Instagram.